If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet PlushCare, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Now, from the most powerful city in the world, a new generation of conservative talk. Fair, fresh, fun. It's the Guy Benson Show with Guy Benson. Welcome into Wednesday, December 7th, 2022. I'm Guy Benson from New York City. It's the Guy Benson Show. Thank you very much for tuning in. 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern Time every weekday and around the clock on demand for free on our podcast, GuyBensonShow.com. Everything you need right there, GuyBensonShow.com. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Guy Benson Show. I'm the political editor at townhall.com, a Fox News contributor, and I'll be on Gutfeld tonight at 11 p.m. Eastern for the full hour. It's going to be fun. We'll be talking more about that, in fact, later on in the show. I'm looking forward to it. But let me tell you where we're headed on the radio. We'll get to our first guest you just heard in the background momentarily. (laughs) Later this hour, Sandra Smith will be here. Dr. Drew is here in the next hour. That'll be interesting. And Jessica Tarloff to round things out in our final hour, the happy hour. But first... We are joined now by Harris Faulkner, anchor of the Faulkner Focus on Fox News Channel 11 a.m. Eastern weekdays, also co-host of Outnumbered in the next hour weekdays on FNC, and now best-selling author of the new book, Faith Still Moves Mountains, Miraculous Stories of the Healing Power of Prayer, and she joins me here in studio. It is great to see you. Congratulations on the book. Oh, my goodness. Thank you. I, You know what? It has taken on uh, so great a meaning in my life. It has ushered in testimonies of faith and miracles from people who are reading the book and sharing their own stories when they see me out at book signings or sometimes spontaneously at the group at the, at the grocery store. People will come up and they'll say, I bought that book for someone as a gift. Faith is the greatest gift that you can give someone. And it's a huge blessing in my life. And I have always known what my divine assignment is. Like I'm a witness, I'm a journalist. I'm not I'm not here to prophesize. I'm not a, a pastor. No one has ordained me to be anything other than tell other people's stories. And what is amazing at this point in my life is that other people's stories include hope. And it's changing the topic for people. I don't know how many, but I've had people say, well, when you get to be number one on the New York Times bestseller list, you've touched a lot of lives. And I'm thinking, but I'm not touching. It's the book. I'm I'm literally telling testimony from stories, some of them that I covered, a Lee County, Alabama twister outbreak, and the 80-some-year-old woman who survived praying mightily inside of the only structure that survived, that, that was still standing on her street of houses, and it was her prayer closet wooden and tattered from the twister winds and rain. And there she was, broken hip, screaming, God, thank you. I'm so grateful for the life that you have given me. And if it is your will, more of that life. And now the aftermath. Lord, thank you, I'm still here. And the EMTs, I mean, the people who tell that story, it's it's pretty incredible. And I, 
have done a lot in my career. This is different. This this is different than news coverage. This is the answer that I finally give fully when people ask me, how do you get through the tragedies that you cover? My faith. And you don't have to believe in what I tell you. Look at the evidence here. That's what I get to do in this book. It's called Faith Still Moves Mountains from Fox News Books. It's already a bestseller, as you just heard there. Tens of thousands of copies already sold, and it just came out. And I know this is the most cliched question to ask of an author, but I think it's a question that I often ask anyway because it's interesting. Why did you write this book at this time? What caused you to do it? Okay, so I want to look at my notes to answer this because I wrote this down the other day in my prayer diary. People ask me why I wrote this book, and the answer is just as simple. Tough times call for warriors, and sometimes we can't wait for them to appear. We must become the warriors. Now is that time. Now is our season to be the warriors in America. The biggest, most powerful tool in the fight is faith. It may not feel like it. You may doubt miracles are happening and can happen to you, but the power of prayer is the impenetrable armor of winning life's battles. And I ask readers in person now, because I didn't write any of that in the book, that came to me in a prayer session that I was having and I wrote it down, which is something that I do now that I never did before. I don't know that I listen to God all that much. My mom used to accuse me of thinking he was Santa. Because all I did was ask for stuff when I was little. And this has helped me in my faith walk because now I take notes. I mean, clearly, it's not coming from me. But now my mantra is faith up. Are you with me? I mean, that's what I say to people now. And I know that didn't come from me. But I, I think if all I generate is curiosity and people leaning back in to see if this thing can work. What an amazing journey to be part of. And and that's intro, why I wrote it in because the intro, I got called to do it. No, I, I think, I mean, that's, that's a beautiful answer. And I think reading from your prayer journaling, at the top of the show, I mentioned some of our guests coming up later, including yeah. Dr. Drew. And he you saw I got excited. You did. I mean, I'm excited to have him on first time on the show. I've met him before a couple different times. I've never met him. Uh, he's really fun. He's a really nice guy. But our topic with him later isn't that fun. It's about isolation and loneliness yeah. and depression really growing in this country. And I think there's been a lot of darkness the last couple of years in a lot of people's lives. And I'm not one to just say, oh, well, look, you know, it's a country that's moving away from faith and God and religion, and it's, we're not better off for it. I think there's probably some truth to that. But I think we also are desperate for uplifting good stories yes. of hope compared to so much of what we ingest in our news diet, cultural diet, every single day. And you are chronicling some of those stories in your book. You know, um, I love the way you put that. And what you're talking about is that everybody comes in at this from a different place in their lives, a different season, if you will. The season that we all shared most recently that has gotten us to perhaps a depletion of hope and a misunderstanding about having a relationship with the Lord because maybe he didn't rescue as many people as we thought needed to be rescued in the pandemic is a time where we saw lockdowns of places of worship, 
but we saw that you could get alcohol delivered to your doorstep in many states like my own, New Jersey. And while you couldn't get together to pray, you could smoke weed together and go to a weed dispensary and, and get what you needed. And I'm not just talking about medicinal purposes because that has a place. But we were allowed to recreate and become intoxicated, but not with the Lord. We, we, we couldn't recreate and become intoxicated with hope. That wasn't allowed. What kind of statement is that about where and who we really want to be? And by the way, our children are watching us, whether they live with you or they're the neighbor's kids. They're all ours. And you, you talk about motivation, about writing a book. Yes, this was put on my heart to do from, from what I just told you, what I could see. But what I lived through in 2020 showed me that even those of us who want to believe that God hears our prayers are challenged. And on Christmas Day in 2020, I got a call that changed my life in a way that made me very angry. And I took that anger into prayer. And I couldn't stop talking. And I just figured there was no answer back of why God would take my father, my only living parent, the person I lovingly called my spare after my mom passed away in 2016 at Thanksgiving. So you can imagine how I feel at the holiday time. Mm. Both of them. Yeah. And, and, and now... Everybody knows those stories. And so when people see me, they, they say, if you can still believe after your dad died on Christmas, your North Star, then maybe I can. And so it's not been a perfect journey, and it hasn't been without bumps. And I don't want people to think that I'm, oh, my gosh, she's like Susie Sunshine. No, no I, that, that's Janistine. Oh, and, oh. yeah. Just, don't just, I know it. I mean, <laughs> beautiful, sunny, kind, the whole kit and caboodle. She is. She is all of that. But but she and I have prayed together, too. The loss that she suffered during the pandemic with her parents-in-law. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't always make sense, God's timing. And I'm not asking life to be perfect, but I didn't know how to pray to that. I only know, knew how to take my angst. And so I tried to do what my mother taught me at that time, and that was to be quiet. And things like what I'm sharing with you today, and I hadn't read that before, but I wanted to today, um, are from a prayer journal that I started. And some of the things that I pray now are a little bit of journaling in the book. There are several original prayers that I put the scriptural inspiration for them so you can read, okay, well, where did Harris's words come from? Can I read more in the Bible and its actual scripture? You can, because I I put down where you find it. But it's only a few lines on healing or family togetherness or lamenting. Um, I think that we can be there for each other if we share our journeys in meaningful ways. And I get to be the conduit. And I'm so thrilled that people are giving this as a gift this Christmas, because Christmas will be hard for me. Mm. And it's great to know that people will be taking this and saying it's lifting them up. Yeah, that's sustenance for you, too. Yeah. It's for them, but it's also for you. I'm sorry for getting choked no, up. No, no, you're talking about losing your father. I mean, you are yeah. fully forgiven on that one, Harris. <laughs> Thank uh, you. <laughs> one more question on the book before I want to ask about maybe something newsy. You and I follow each other on social media, and so I'm sort of from a distance following your book tour. And you're doing <laughs> okay. a lot of these events. And some of these photos, I, I wrote a book with Mary Catherine Ham years ago. We had I a know. book tour, we went around and signing yeah. books and all that. So I, I remember, yeah. I'm thinking back to it. 
we didn't have the same scenes that you're having where in some of these photos you're like in a prayer circle holding hands with strangers. Just talk about that. It was spontaneous. Uh, My first book signing was at the Patriot Awards in Hollywood, Florida. Yep. And that was a fun event. What I didn't anticipate was that people would purchase the book and begin reading it on site. And so they were reading it in line, and and there, there were so many people. I mean, just it's a very popular event to celebrate Americans doing great things. Fox does it every year. I had never been. And I looked up, and I saw a woman crying as she was reading the book. And I said, who are you thinking of? And she gave me a name. And I said, does anybody else have a name of somebody we want to lift up? Let's hold hands. And I, I did this initially. I said, look, I know we're in a pandemic, but I'm, I, I'm, I happen to believe that we have to touch each other. And um, that brought a little bit of laughter when I held on to people and I said, I'm taking one for the team here. But that's what this is going to take. Like we have to be able to be together. And so the prayer circle started with, okay, let's pray for Bob and let's pray for whomever. And just a short, and I tell people I'm not called to do this. I don't even know. But it's happening because it's supposed to. And we put our hands in the like air. Maybe you are. Like maybe I am. Maybe this is part of being a witness. Maybe I need to witness what they're happening and then motivate with action. But I mean, and some of the pictures that have been posted, I didn't take a lot of them, but I repost them. I'll save them to my photo file on my phone. That's how old I am. I call it a photo file. Oh, my <laughs> gosh. But I'll save it to my album. And... um it's amazing how many people are able to capture those moments because they mean something to them. So I was glad because I really didn't have um, any sort of way of capturing me in the red cowboy boots, <laughs> which I wear a lot now because I think that they have a meaning to people now. Um, but it's been it's been really fulfilling. And so the prayer circle is now something I do. I was at Barnes & Noble in Florida at a different location last week. I'm going to Dallas in a couple of weeks and doing different, you know, places all across the country eventually. But I've kind of been home because right after the election, we had a runoff that just ended yesterday. So it's been hard for me to, like, skip around too much. And what I realized, Guy, is that people now want to do the prayer circles. And so when they're in line, I'll do a double check and I'll say, are we in it? And they're like, yep, we're here. Okay, let's everybody hold hand. And and one woman yelled out when I was in Florida last week. I went to the villages. She said, um, Harris is going to do her COVID um, you know, little announcement. <laughs> like people know it's they know coming. coming. Yeah. And I'll so say it started organically and now it's almost like a tradition. I do it a couple. Like, so if we have a two hour book signing, I'll do it once an hour. And I'll try to make sure that we wait until there are as many people congregating as possible. And then we'll do it together. And what's funny is that when we were at this Barnes and Noble, people had no idea about the book. They didn't even know me. They were like, who is this? lady in the back of the store like and and i travel with a step and repeat (laughs) so it's like okay (laughs) what is that is this a red carpet event like what is that so but it's you know it's just a way for people to take pictures it's a red cowboy boot event yeah yeah exactly but i'll see people coming from different parts of the street can i get in the prayer circle oh are you reading the book no ma'am i don't know anything about your book (laughs) like yeah jump on in yeah maybe and, they'd buy a copy after that yeah but or many not. of them do but that's fine it's it's not um it's open it's it's what i think it's as you said it's what's supposed to be and if we ever have to go in lockdown again can we just promise each other that we rethink that 
Can we have a discussion? Yeah, I think we can do that on a bunch of levels, and it's part of a conversation we have a lot on this show and on your shows as well on Fox News Channel. Faith Still Moves Mountains, Harris Faulkner, the author, national bestseller already. And as you're approaching the holiday season, we're in it, Christmas arriving soon. Just something to think about uh, for stockings and Christmas trees and that sort of thing. Obviously, it's meant a lot to a lot of people already. Harris, we're up on a break. It's great to see you. you. Congratulations again on the book. Thank you so much. I'm so appreciative. The Guy Benson Show just getting started. We'll be right back. Fresh conservative talk. Guy Benson Show. Fox News Radio On Demand on the Fox News app. Download the app and just click listen. When you swipe left, you can listen to your favorite Fox News talk shows live. Swipe right for the latest Fox News Radio newscasts on demand. Fox News Radio on the Fox News app. Download it today. I'm Guy Benson. We're back. Really good conversation with Harris Faulkner. My plan was to do maybe half of the conversation and the segment on her book and then move on to other topics, news of the day. But I felt like that was the right conversation to be having at the right time. One of the issues that I wanted to raise, I'll just do it here, is something we've been talking about this week. President Biden went to Arizona for some sort of economic development event. And he was asked by our colleague here, Peter Ducey, on his way out the door at the White House, hey, since you're going to a border state, are you going to go to the border? And his answer was no. Here's that exchange in case you've missed it. Cut nine. Why go to a border state and not visit the border? Because the more important thing going on, they're going to invest billions of dollars in a new enterprise. More important things going on than going to the border. And we had Dana Perino here yesterday saying that the border crisis that he has caused and is presiding over and making worse, is a stain on his legacy. Which is a pretty strong statement coming from Dana Perino. I think she's right. And relatedly, horrible news relayed by our colleague Bill Malugin earlier today. He tweeted this earlier this morning, breaking, multiple federal sources tell me a 38-year-old Border Patrol agent was killed in Mission, Texas, in the Rio Grande Valley early this morning after he crashed an ATV into a gate while chasing a group of illegal immigrants at high speed. I'm told he was a father of two kids. So basically my age, young father, I would imagine young kids, pursuing some of the illegal immigrants, pouring across the border every single day in this crisis. And that man is now dead. His kids are without a father. Last year was the deadliest year at the border ever. Close to 1,000 immigrants died, illegal immigrants died. There are suicides among Border Patrol agents spiking. And the President of the United States says, well, there's more important things going on down in that area, so he's not interested in going. It's a really bad look. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton Withrow. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my (laughs) name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. Talking about the issues you care about. Guy Benson. 
It's the Guy Benson Show. I'm Guy Benson. Thank you for listening. GuyBensonShow.com, our podcast, free every day, available there and elsewhere as well. Joining us now is Sandra Smith, co-anchor of America Reports, alongside John Roberts. I'm scheduled to be on with her on set tomorrow here in New York. And Sandra, it's it's great to have you back, and Merry Christmas. I'm so happy to be back. Thank you for having me, and Merry Christmas. Happy holidays to everybody listening. And we have you top of the show. I just had our show meeting for tomorrow. Top of the show, Guy Benson. All right. So get ready. All right. I'm going <laughs> to roll up my sleeves, bring the A game, 1 p.m. sharp on Fox News Channel tomorrow. So, Sandra, I want to pick your brain on the economy. We've seen a couple rocky days on Wall Street. The Fed probably going to have to fight inflation more, which hurts the economy. And I've seen a few different assessments. There are some folks talking openly about a pretty serious recession that could be coming. I've seen other CEOs on TV saying that they expect a recession, but it might be shallow or relatively mild. And then I mentioned yesterday the CEO of United Airlines says based on their data and spending uh, that they're seeing in their numbers, they don't really see a recession looming. So there's kind of all these different mixed signals out there. Obviously, people are unhappy with the economic situation right now. Inflation is still extremely painful. In order to fix that, you have to kind of contract the economy in in some ways. But what are you hearing out there in terms of what the expectation is at this point? Because it's hard for me to make sense of. Well, you have to ask yourself why why we all care about that word, right? I mean, by definition, most economists agree that two straight quarters of contraction in the American economy. So there are a lot of economists who believe that we're already there. We had that. We bounced back in the latest quarter, uh, which was a good sign. But there are troubling signs that are happening with the U.S. consumer. Uh, inflation has been pro has been so high for a prolonged period of time that all that savings that the American people saved up during the pandemic is getting gobbled up by that inflation. And it doesn't seem that what the Fed has done so far, raising interest rates to sort of, you know, slow down that spending, it hasn't had a great impact. So it tells you two things. It's a pretty resilient economy so far. When, you, when you're raising interest rates at the pace that the Fed has and you don't get a severe drop in retail spending and, and consumer consumption, that's a pretty resilient economy. But that can only last so long. And that is a point that Jamie Dimon, uh, J.P. Morgan CEO, just made. Uh, and he made a lot of news saying that. Uh, he's saying that it is inflation, the end-all, be-all, that could drag us into a recession next year. And he said it could be a, quote, hurricane. Okay, so he's looking at households that, that, that built up this $1.5 trillion war chest of excess savings during the pandemic and said that's great. And that's why we're still in good shape as far as the economy. But he warned that may not last much longer. And so you've got a growing number of CEOs who are – sort of raising the red flag, saying that this this can't last. And, uh, Guy, there's one measure of the economy I watch really closely, and it's this survey of CEOs, American CEOs. And there's a growing number of CEOs of major corporations who are growing more pessimistic about the American economy. And they've mm. hung in there for a long time. Even when things started to kind of look a little shaky, they still said, no, things are great. 
they're growing more pessimistic right now. So it's something to keep your eye on. You know, there's there's some changing consumer behaviors. Retail sales around the holiday will be very telling. We'll all be watching those numbers very closely. Sandra Smith, there's another sort of related topic that is not specific to the broader economy, but it does go to, I think, people's trust in our institutions and our systems. We haven't really gotten into it on this show, and I know it's pretty complicated, but this FTX scandal, the collapse at FTX, and this guy who is responsible for it, this young guy just sort of out there doing a bunch of interviews with mainstream outlets and kind of just telling his story, which I think a lot of people find not at all credible. Billions of dollars just kind of poof, disappearing. He had donated huge amounts of money to the Democrats with this fortune that was kind of, you know, an illusion in the last cycle. And then the whole thing collapsed. He's, again, zooming into various interviews and stuff. It's a very weird thing to watch. What's your overall summary of what happened there? And there's something that I want to tie it to, but let's just start with the the basics on FTX. Well, I think anybody who's seen Sam Bankman-Fried give these interviews, he's, he's gone on the sweeping media tour, podcasts, um, he had the New York Times Deal Book Summit. Um, it was remarkable to me that he was greeted by applause guy. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's really hard to believe that anybody who's, you know, sort of seen videos of him and, um, you know, gained a little knowledge about his background, you kind of think, why did not more people not warn about what may not actually be happening? I mean, let's be clear. He's saying he's going to testify before Congress when he's ready. Why is why is that not happening today? He's saying that he wants to learn and review the events that caused this cryptocurrency exchange to file for bankruptcy <laughs> last month. Everyone, everyone can look at this and tell you exactly what happened. He built investors out of millions. He said, I'll take your money. OK, he leveraged the money and misled investors about what he was doing with their money. It went away. And now those customers are out all of those funds. I mean, there's a lot of different ways to look at at it, the collapse of Enron, the Ponzi scheme of Bernie Madoff. But he was telling investors he was doing one thing and he was doing something completely else. He should testify before Congress. He should be under oath. It's easier for him to go on these media tours, guy, and, 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 and give false information about what he did or did not know. It's another thing to be under oath and testify before Congress. I don't understand why that is not happening today. I don't either. And part of the answer might be some of the people supposed to be who are supposed to be or tasked with overseeing some of this stuff were asleep at the switch, perhaps because they were very happy that he was funding their campaigns and their party. Right. That's part of this. Right. I mean, there is like practically a love letter sent by Maxine Waters to the guy. This is after the extent of the fraud has become obvious. And, you know, if you're going to fill politicians coffers for a while, I mean, this is kind of the swampy stuff, almost to an exaggerated cartoonish level that people absolutely hate. And then to sit before that audience at the New York Times like he was some sort of genius where something just sort of went wrong. (laughs) Yeah, something happened to him. You know, Terry Duffy is the chairman and CEO of the world's largest derivatives exchange, the the CME Group, sort of the combined Chicago Board of Trade, Chicago Mercantile Exchange, if you will. 
He apparently raised the red flag on this back in March to his face, called him a fraud. And then I don't know if you saw this on Tucker Carlson last week, but they went and pulled the tape of Terry Duffy in a hearing on Capitol Hill telling lawmakers this guy was a fraud and being challenged by by Democrat from California, Ro Khanna. I mean, you can play the tape. Um, There were Democrats coming to his defense, and you have to ask yourself why. Hmm. Well, and I think you can sort of follow the money. Money's now disappeared, of course, but at the time it was a lot of cash flowing to the Democrats. Now, this guy says he also donated dark money to the Republicans. Um, I would like that fact check. Maybe he did, maybe he didn't. I don't trust this person implicitly uh, because it seems like there's a lot of lies being told right now, but... It is a fascinating and bizarre story. And here's what I'll tie it to, Sandra, another news item that affects a lot more people, which is this item from FoxNews.com earlier. Americans warned about looming IRS audits of Venmo payments. Quote, they're targeting you. So we think back to the Inflation Reduction Act, a total misnomer that was going to do nothing of the sort. Even Bernie Sanders admitted that. There was a huge doubling of the size of the IRS. And what Democrats said, and the IRS is sort of allies in this, Democrats and the IRS, they said, no, no, don't worry. Uh, It's really only going to be the rich and and those awful corporations. Average people don't have to worry about this in terms of tax increases or in terms of oversight from this newly, you know, muscular on steroids IRS. And there were all sorts of indications that wouldn't be true. History as a guide shows that that is not true. The IRS comes looking through people's couch cushions at much lower levels of income because that's where they get a lot of the money that they feel like they're owed. And now if you're involved in transactions of just, what, five $600, that's now eligible for this new threshold that they've lowered for the IRS to come looking at with all these new agents that they've hired. And people may be paying each other, reimbursing each other on Venmo or whatever. Now they have to think about this. And I just think Taking a step back, Sandra, obviously this is going to impact middle-class people, working-class people, folks who are just trying to live their lives. The IRS is going to be a lot more readily uh, available to and empowered to sniff around through their finances at much lower you know, dollar amounts that have nothing to do with millionaires or billionaires. It's just like average people. And I think people might resent it because they were told the opposite. They were lied to by a bunch of politicians who were evidently just sort of MIA while FTX was disappearing, whatever it was, hundreds of millions, more than a billion dollars uh, with almost no oversight because he was greasing the right skids, it would seem. But here comes the IRS into their virtual pocketbook at relatively low dollar amounts. It just seems like there's a mismatch there on priorities, maybe to put it politely. Yeah, and not to mention this could also increase audits, which would also, um, you know, this would affect mostly the lower to middle in class American. Um, just to, to give people the background on this, this was these were changes to the U.S. tax code under the American Rescue Act. It was passed back in March of 2021, and what used to be, guy, was these payment apps were previously required to send users a 1099-K form if their income was over $20,000 or if they had 200 separate transactions in a calendar year. So now the change is that Americans will have a 1099-K form for any 
$600 transaction using online platforms. So as Grover Norquist put it, he said, uh, he said we were promised this time that the tax bill was going only after the super rich. No, $600, they're targeting you and me and anyone else who is online. So this is a direct contradiction. And guys. by the way, just so- to jump in, that was the American Rescue Plan, really the first thing that the Democrats did under Joe Biden. And then my reference to the Inflation Reduction Act, that was the doubling of the IRA that gives the government really the enforcement teeth to come after this stuff, right? They're not interested in enforcing laws at the border, for instance, but they are really ramping up the IRS to come enforce this money grab from a lot of Americans who absolutely do not even come close to the category of the millionaires and billionaires that they talk about in their, you know, their talking points. No, you're exactly right. And, and it's a direct contradiction to what this administration has told Americans all along, that no one making under $400,000 a year would see their taxes go up, that they were only going after the ultra wealthy. Will you look at the folks that do engage in transactions of these amounts? This directly targets small businesses, middle class Americans. Um, and so the administration and the Democratic Party needs to be challenged on that because this is going to um, adversely affect, affect a lot of Americans, these changes to the to the tax code. Yep. And, you know, I hate to say we told you so, but we told you so. Right. They had their you know, pointers on their memos and they said there are normal things that they always repeat mantras over and over again about their policies and who it will affect and who it won't. And we said it's just not true. Look at this information, and now it is playing out exactly the way that we warned about because they wrote it down in the law. That's the thing. Like, it was all right there. It was what they wrote in their laws that they passed along party lines, Democrats only, and then their spin was like just their assurances that what they had written down in the actual law wasn't really what people should be worried about, and it's sort of being misrepresented or whatever, but – It is what it is. The words say what they say. They mean what they mean. And it's going to be, I think, probably an unhappy awakening for a lot of Americans from a lot of different income groups in the months and years to come. Uh, And and you look at that scrutiny of people's transactions at very low levels versus the lack of scrutiny and the hosannas and the cheering of a gigantic historic fraud – when the guy was basically just saying, oh, don't worry, I'm doing a bunch of woke stuff and donating to Democrats, I think that – juxtaposition is pretty powerful and kind of speaks for itself. And with that, we'll leave it there because we're up on a break. Sandra Smith, co-anchor of America Reports on Fox News Channel every day, 1 to 3 p.m. Eastern Time, FNC. And I'll be joining top of the show tomorrow in studio with Sandra here in New York. Looking forward to that. Sandra, always enjoy it. Thank you. Thanks so much, Guy. Take care. We'll be right back. It's the Guy Benson Show. Fresh conservative talk. Guy Benson Show. Back on The Guy Benson Show, quick roundup of some news today. China and the CCP scrapping a lot of their COVID-19 mandates and requirements after all these huge protests. They might be under some financial pressure as well. So that's an interesting development. We'll see if it lasts. Meanwhile, here in the U.S., lawmakers say they've reached an agreement to rescind the military's COVID-19 vaccine mandate in a deal involving the defense spending bill which we've been talking about here on the show, it seems sort of crazy to have that to be effectively firing troops and turning away recruits when we're already having a recruitment problem. The White House blasting 
these lawmakers for that, saying it's a mistake. All right. I mean, scientist John Kirby weighing in there, I guess. But it seems like that is happening. Another story, since we're here in New York, just want to keep the spotlight on this ongoing issue, anti-Semitism. NYPD reporting 45 different anti-Semitic hate crimes just in the month of November alone against Jewish people in this city. The biggest city in the United States of America. More than one a day. Anti-Semitic hate crimes last month alone. It's a real problem. And at least this strain of anti-Semitism is not right-wing anti-Semitism for the most part in this country. Or in this city, rather. Maybe in some other places, but sometimes the fringes unite in their Jew hatred and it's really disgusting. And they need to take it very seriously here in New York and elsewhere. Lastly, you might have seen this. Time Magazine put out their list of contenders for the Person of the Year, which is an annual tradition dating back decades. And there were some interesting people in the mix. Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida, was one of the potential nominees. I saw the Supreme Court was on the list because they had a couple really big decisions, including the Dobbs decision on abortion. Were they the people of the year? The Iranian protesters, collectively, that was one of the nominees to be time person of the year. There were a few other options. I think they put out 10 options or so. And the person that they picked is Vladimir Zelensky, the president of Ukraine. I know there's some cynicism among some Americans about Zelensky and all the celebrities who go to see him and all of that, and some people question why we're funding the Ukrainians. I support funding the Ukrainians. I don't want to send U.S. troops over there, but the Russians invaded them. They are bravely fighting for their country and their sovereignty against a bad enemy, and they're winning so far against all of those odds. And Zelensky has been a rock. He's shown real grit and courage, refusing to leave the capital city, for example, while it was being bombarded. I think he deserves it. So congratulations to him, and I hope that he and the Ukrainians prevail. Another hour of The Guy Benson Show coming up with Dr. Drew. Straight ahead. From the most powerful city in the world, unconventional talk from a fresh, unconventional conservative, Kai Benson Show. A new hour is here on the Guy Benson Show from New York City. I'm Guy Benson. Thanks for listening. GuyBensonShow.com, our website, podcast, free of charge, on demand every day. Give us a follow on social media at Guy Benson Show on Twitter and on Instagram. I'll be on Gutfeld tonight at 11 p.m. Eastern time on Fox News Channel for the full hour. Should be interesting. We'll have more to say about that coming up in our next hour. But first, a Fox News alert. The Dow closing up one point to 33,597. With that, I'm very pleased to welcome to the show for the first time Dr. Drew Pinsky, a.k.a. Dr. Drew, board-certified internist, addiction medicine specialist. He's a TV host that you know well, podcaster. Check out his streaming show, Ask Dr. Drew, on drdrew.tv. That's drdrew.tv. His family of podcasts also available at drdrew.com. And, Dr. Drew, we met at Cat Timp's wedding 
I saw you on a flight a few months ago, but this is your first time on the show, and I'm so glad you're here. It is. A couple things. Uh, I was on my way to Tim Pool's show at the time. We were going to Washington, if, you're, if I remember right. Yes, sir, from L.A. Uh, yeah, and uh, and I, I something you just said a moment ago jumped out at me. You said you're going to be on the Gutfeld show for the full hour. Has he been kicking you off before the hour's done? Is that what's what's happened here, guy? Well, sometimes he might like to, and he might have a bone <laughs> to pick with me actually about a Christmas party invite that maybe yes. didn't come his way. It's a long story. We're actually going to talk about it in the next hour, but we'll see how things go tonight. I do want to tell you before we talk about more serious things. I posted on my Instagram, so my personal Instagram, at Guy P. Benson, that you were going to be on the show today. And my husband's best friend, or one of his very best friends, Vanessa, sent me a string of freaking out DMs. She is a huge fan of yours. She listens to your show all the time. She drinks every morning out of, she says, a Rational Revolution mug. My goodness. Oh, yeah. She's so, really a convert. We'll tell her, thank you, Vanessa. I love you. Thank you so much. This Rational Revolution is something that was concocted on this crazy show I do at your mom's house called Dr. Drew After Dark, which is sort of a comedy platform. But it's the show itself is sort of a new incarnation of the old show Love Line we used to do. There we go. So uh, the fact that you just shouted her out on national radio. Uh, Merry Christmas, Vanessa. There's your gift. We're done. <laughs> and Merry uh, Christmas. Yeah, <laughs> Happy New Year, Vanessa. Whatever I can do to make you and Guy happy. <laughs> All right, Dr. Drew. I hate to bring down the mood, but the reason that we thought about bringing you on, and of course your background, your expertise, I have seen now in the last, it feels like the last two weeks, a bunch of stories in the Washington Post, the New York Times, studies coming out, really highlighting that we're in a difficult, dark place as a society for an awful lot of people right now with loneliness exploding, isolation, depression. I know that a lot of people have wrestled with those types of issues and demons and problems for a long time, but I don't know. It just feels like we're at some sort of inflection point in our country and in our society where it's getting a lot worse. And the studies showing that we are spending a lot more time alone as opposed to with partners or with friends just by ourselves. And some of the mental health challenges stemming from that, especially among teenagers and young people, I mean, it's hard to quantify, but I'm not sure if the word crisis fits. I think it might. What are you seeing? What do you make of this data that's been just an avalanche coming our way in recent days? Let me just frame this by saying that uh, I had this sort of extraordinary clinical experience through my career where I spent a lot of 35 years working in a psychiatric hospital, all the while practicing general medicine alongside of that. And so I had this big, broad experience of medicine and psychiatry. And when I saw the panic that was being fomented and the use of fear to cow the public into submission in terms of cooperating with horrible draconian lockdown measures, I knew, A, there would be horrible consequences from a psychiatric standpoint, and B, the people perpetrating this were giving no thought to the risk-reward of the so-called non-pharmacological interventions. It was highly, highly predictable. And from the beginning of these interventions, I kept saying, you are destroying 8- to 15-year-olds. That is the population that is going to suffer the most. They're now 10, 11 to 18, 19-year-olds. 
and it is coming to bear. Whenever I speak to my psychiatric colleagues, they, for the last two years, all they tell me is anxiety, depression, anxiety, depression. That's all they're seeing. They can't. They cannot possibly meet the demand. And this is, to be fair, this is somewhat of an international problem. Mm-hmm. We've created this from having followed the policies of the Chinese Communist Party. No doubt China will have its own version of this through, because of their draconian continued pushing for these, frankly, ineffective measures that have very little impact on respiratory viruses. But we adopted it. They've continued it. And it was a, a fool's errand from the beginning with predictable deleterious consequences. Now, here's why it's a particularly acute problem in America. There, there are sort of two or three things I have seen, maybe four, that make me think our problem is significantly worse. A, we don't have enough psychiatrists. You sent me an article that was talking about not having enough psychologists to meet the demands, particularly by the schools. Yes, that's true. We don't have enough psychologists, but we have literally five times more psychologists than we have psychiatrists, and many of these kids need psychiatry, and the psychologist's ability to get somebody to a psychiatrist is nil. So we have inadequate services available. We have no psychiatric beds. We have no psychiatric facilities available to speak of. I tried getting someone in a psychiatric hospital over the weekend. I was shocked at how impossible it was. Essentially, you can only go into a facility these days if you have active suicidal or homicidal ideation. And even then, if you go, hey, I was just kidding, off you go. So there is the lack of resources. Then there is what we told adolescents and young adults, which was they were going to die, their family was going to die, the society was going to be destroyed. That was the constant messaging. On the heels of that, we were telling young people that they were not worthwhile, that the economy was not going to serve them well, there was going to be total destruction because of environment and climate anyway, and all these negative messaging about how, I don't have a strong enough word, I'll just say problematic, the, Amer- the very fabric of the American system is. So what do you think is going to happen mm. when you take a young people and you tell them there's no future, you're not worthwhile, the country you live in is not worthwhile, and the economy is never going to be available to you anyway, and your family and you are going to be destroyed by a pandemic, shelter in place, which, by the way... And climate change is going to end the world, too. Correct. And, and, and shelter in place, you know, people were using the term shelter in place. I couldn't believe Shelter in place is a phrase used for an imminent nuclear attack. That's when you shelter in place. Just the use of that language was disgusting and predictably having horrible impact on young people who are sponges. They suck, soak this all up, and then we isolate them at home on top of that so they can't have their usual socio-emotional milestones met. Now, I got more to say, but I'll let you ask me questions. Well, because I just, I just wanted to jump in because you specifically cited 8- to 15-year-olds, and I'm wondering, just medically speaking, I think intuitively we understand that brains are still forming – uh, you know, th- these are very formative years for a lot of people, quite literally. You've only been on this earth for a little period of time, and now you've had this massive intervention and disruption that's really messing with the minds of much older adults who've been around with normalcy a lot longer. And, you know, this is just outsized in terms of your experience because you haven't been here that long. I get all of that. But medically speaking, why specifically 8 to 15 who are now two years on – why is that the most vulnerable group in your mind? Because that middle, those middle adolescent years is when their peer input is the most critical for their emotional and social development and their sense of themselves. Not, not only that, 
they need lots of activities and structure, and they are prone, if you put them somewhere and in, in, incarcerate them, they're going to get depressed. Just just that. But the lack of ability to interact socially and establish a sense of self, a sense of who you are with other people, a sense of purpose through the academic experience, none of that. They've got none, none of the, the usual, it's just a critical window where if you withdraw them from that, the, the impact is very predictable. All right. So we have a good amount of time left, but not, you know, an hour left here. We have a few minutes remaining. And I'm wondering if you have a message in all of this, because I'm, I'm just reading, scrolling through the headlines. Why is it so hard for men to make close friends? That's probably another conversation for a different day. We'd love to have you back. Focusing specifically on what we've just been discussing here, do you have a message based on your experience and your expertise for kids in America, young people, maybe not quite that young. We have some younger listeners, but we have a lot of listeners who are maybe later on in high school, college, early 20s. They have been traumatized and hit hard by this, no doubt about it. And then my follow-up question, you can start thinking about it, is your message to their loved ones, their parents, their grandparents, people who care about them. But if you had a message directly to the younger people right now in America who have all of this depression and anxiety and just this underlying sense of foreboding and dread almost all of the time, what would you want to say to them? Okay. I, 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 first of all, I would just say that the, the, the homeless situation, the reason we have the homeless situation are some of the same phenomenon that are creating this crisis for young people, the lack of resources, the lack of beds, the lack of psychiatrists. Number one, I would say, please get help if you're having trouble functioning. Treatment does work. Get help, number one. Number two, you have been fed a lie that there is worth in this country. We do want you. You are worthwhile, and you need to go find that thing. And that, that thing it needs to be something that helps you make meaning. Saving the world does not actually nourish human beings very much. What nourishes human being is having a skill set and a wisdom to be able to help an other human being, one human being. So being a doctor, helping a patient, that is what nourishes a human. That sort of thing is what nourishes human beings. So find things you can do to be to make meaning and to be helpful in the world and to understand you have been lied to. This is this is nonsense. You live in one of the greatest worlds, one of the greatest economies, and you should be and you are worthwhile and you should be looking forward to thriving. Now, it, having said that, uh, it, it's no small matter, right? It's no small task. You have to find your sense of self. You have to find your sense of purpose and meaning. But meaning making is a critical thing. So two things: a a get help if you're having trouble functioning. B meaning making and finding ways to develop skill and, and wisdom around that so you can truly contribute. And then finally, relationships. And screens, relationships on screens and Zooms and whatever else you're using. TikTok, Snapchat, yeah, all that. Those, those are better than nothing, but they do not nourish for long. There must be bodies in space. Humans need to spend time with other satellite central nervous systems in the same space. And that time needs to be just spent, ideally, sharing with each other. You can do common – males tend to often appreciate doing common activities together. That can be also very rewarding. But because they've been so um, restricted in their access to their peers, I would say more time face-to-face, -face, 
breaking bread, sharing feelings, thoughts, ideas, and just learning about yourself and others in that context of intimate exchange, not romantic exchange, just contact. Like interpersonal contact, friendship, relationships, just basic stuff that people have been – it's just been diminished or just robbed of them in so many cases. Dr. Drew, just about two minutes left for the parents and grandparents out there who see these stories about kids getting into drugs and overdoses and they're just scared to death about the well-being of their own kids. They don't really know what to make of social media and the constant screens and all of it. They don't want to seem uncool. They don't want to make things worse, but they're concerned. What's your message to them? And and let me just say, um, before I I talk to the parents and grandparents, uh, those kids have been robbed. They've been robbed, and I hope they're pissed. They should be furious. They should be outraged by what they've been put through, number one. Uh, To the the parents and grandparents, um, you know, these are complicated uh, you can, we have to talk about every different age you know, window. So let me just talk in broad strokes. If, um, if a kid is struck, you see, all, pretty much all psychiatric problems present very similarly in adolescent and young adulthood, which is change in sleep patterns, change in diet patterns, change in uh, you know, a, a single a grade point drop in school is actually the biggest predictor of actual psychiatric problems, not mm. parenting problems medical psychiatric problems. So a drop in grade, change in sleep, change in eating patterns, change in dress, change in peer group, or if you find paraphernalia or a substance. If you find paraphernalia or a substance in or around your child, they've gotten so lazy with their use that you're finding it, you have a major, major problem. They don't need to be grounded. They need to see an expert to get some help with this. Same is true of these other changes I've mentioned to you. It's not a parenting issue. That's a child with one of many different potential psychiatric problems, and they need help. And the kids on the college campuses, there are a lot of age-specific mental health services provided there. They're really geared up for this. So make sure you take advantage of what's available on campus. My fear is, though, those services are going to be overwhelmed with what they're going to be dealing with. And there just shouldn't be shame associated with it either. Uh, And that stigma needs to be gone. Dr. Drew, there's so much more I want to ask you about. Hopefully we can have you back. I love it. But the idea of shame and, and, and any kind of guilt or, or stigma, that's, re- that's insane in today's world. Yep. It's ridiculous. Totally. Check yourself you've got, if you're shaming people for taking care of their brain. I totally agree. Dr. Drew Pinsky, drdrew.com, all the podcasts that he's involved in, uh, great stuff. Doctor, look forward to having you back. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you, Guy. I'm actually talking to the Florida Surgeon General this afternoon at 3 o'clock Pacific in another hour or so. Excellent. Well, I hope you knock it out of the park, and these conversations have to happen. It's essential. Dr. Drew, on The Guy Benson Show, we will be right back. Fresh conservative talk, Guy Benson Show. I'm Guy Benson. We're back on The Guy Benson Show. We'll get back to politics coming up in the next segment, talking about what happened in the Georgia runoff election. But just reflecting for a moment on our conversation there with Dr. Drew, Christine, you were riveted to that discussion. And it occurred to me, just like looking through the glass over at you in the studio, we were talking about an age group, 8 to 15. Your daughter is right there. And just as a parent, I just wonder what you make of, 
I feel like we just scratched the surface there with oh, Drew. I think we could have done the full hour oh, with Dr. Drew easily. easily. And yes, my daughter is in that age range. And I'm so happy that we brought him on to, to, to say the things to look out for. You know, the eating patterns, the sleeping patterns, grades, grades dropping. But I have to say, he is right. We did such a disservice to these children, and I'm just so grateful that I was able to have my daughter not lose a year of school. Oh, you pulled her out of public school? I pulled her out of public school because I said, this is not going to happen. She can, she's an only child on top of that. It was going to do so much It would have damage. taken months. Oh. The government schools in New Jersey, was for months she would have been home. But you put her into Catholic school, thank God, and that's worked out for her. And I mean, but also, even you were talking about the stigma point they were making at the very end. That's a real problem i think yeah and he said you know like don't you can't think about that but especially in a lot of cultures and a lot of families yep. there is shame with yes. getting help yep we got to get him back he's really good he's also a super nice guy by the way i can attest all right we will step aside when we come back as promised a return to politics you're listening to the guy benson show Talking about the issues you care about. Guy Benson. Midway through the week and the program from New York City, it's the Guy Benson Show. GuyBensonShow.com is our website. The podcast is always free. Let's talk about last night and the runoff election for the U.S. Senate in Georgia. It went basically the way we expected it to go. Looking at the polling, the reporting, folks we were talking to on the ground, Raphael Warnock, the incumbent Democrat, won by two and a half points. It was close, but not close enough. And relatively early in the evening, the race was obviously headed Warnock's way and then called for him. So now every single Senate incumbent in the country that was up in 2022 has been reelected. Not a single one was defeated. In either party. Again, I keep marveling at the degree to which this was a status quo election, even though the House is changing hands. In many ways, it was a status quo election in the middle of an environment that should have been a change election, hurting the incumbent party and benefiting the opposition party. And the opposition party, the Republicans, did not do anywhere close to what they should have done, in my opinion, when it comes to electoral gains. So the Democrats did not lose a seat in the Senate. In fact, they gained one net-net from 50-50 to now 51-49. You'll have a narrow Republican majority in the House and a narrow and ever so slightly expanded Democratic majority in the Senate. That is not a good outcome for the Republicans, given what should have been on the table with an unpopular president who's still unpopular an agenda that was in many major instances quite unpopular, Republicans leading on some of the biggest issues in the campaign, including the economy and inflation, a deeply dissatisfied electorate that believes overwhelmingly, like three to one, that the country's on the wrong track, but they decided to just say, let's keep things the way they are, which is a reflection on their overall view of the Republican Party. All right, Republicans turned out their base for the most part, although Democrats were more fired up 
yesterday in Georgia, more motivated, and that shows. But more importantly, with Democrat turnout being pretty good, Republican turnout being good, it was the people who swing elections in the middle, independents, a lot of suburbanites, college-educated voters who might go back and forth. They, in some big races, especially in governor races, they heavily sided with the Republicans, which is why we saw some big election and re-election numbers for a lot of those Republicans, those types of Republicans, more traditional Republicans. Whereas in some of the federal races, especially statewide, especially U.S. Senate, they just weren't comfortable with the candidates and the direction of the party. I know some people want to lay that completely on Donald Trump. I don't think it's totally about Trump, although I think a fair amount of it is. His types of candidates, in fact, people that he specifically recruited in a lot of cases, high-profile endorsements, people fashioning themselves after Donald Trump, and a lot of independent swing-ish voters, moderate voters, said no. Now, to me, what's frustrating about Georgia is that now we've seen three consecutive Democratic victories in Senate runoffs. They swept them last time in 2021 when a lot of Republicans stayed home because Trump told them the elections didn't really count and their votes probably wouldn't fully count. People took that to heart. Hundreds of thousands of Republicans didn't show up who had voted on Election Day with the Republican candidates for Senate leading those races on Election Day. Then they ended up losing in those runoffs. And then another runoff was lost last night. Part of this is Herschel Walker, who is obviously a legend in college football, Heisman Trophy winner, national champion, beloved for his athletic exploits in Georgia, just wasn't a good candidate for Senate. He had a lot of baggage. I mean, that baggage was used against him relentlessly, and it was powerful stuff, the allegations against him, with his denials, and I said this on the air, not really striking me as terribly credible. He was, at times, good at defending himself and punching back and that sort of thing, but he wasn't necessarily, ironically, quick on his feet sometimes. He outperformed in the debate, no question about that. But ultimately, he didn't really effectively respond to the overall thrust of the Democratic argument against him, which was he is this dangerous hothead who had attacked his wife, had threatened his family, had paid for abortions. He doesn't know what he's doing. He's not someone that is fit to be a U.S. senator and Trump, Trump, Trump a card that they played over and over again. Ultimately, he could not overcome that. Now, Trump urged him to get into the race, but so did others. Again, it's not completely on Trump. And he won his primary very easily. But what we're seeing, and I'll broaden this out to the rest of the country here in a second, is candidate quality, a phrase that has been raised over and over again, actually does matter, especially when Republicans and their voters have to think about the way that their candidates will be portrayed in the media, which already overwhelmingly is predisposed to be anti-Republican. You don't want to make 
the media and Democrats' collective job easier to demonize and make Republicans look like kooks and people who shouldn't get elected. The degree to which Herschel Walker underperformed Republicans in the state of Georgia is striking. Republicans did quite well in Georgia in 2022. Brian Kemp, who won by a point and a half four years ago, won by nearly eight points this time against the same opponent who raised ungodly sums of money. So he won that race without a runoff, as did every single Republican office seeker for statewide office except in the Senate race. So the Republicans won the governorship by nearly eight points. Lieutenant governorship by five points, the secretary of state race by nine points, the attorney general race by five points, the ag commissioner by eight points, the insurance commissioner by eight points, the school superintendent race by eight points, the commissioner of labor race by seven points. That is a very consistent pattern between five and nine points. The Republicans swept every statewide office in Georgia except for this Senate race, which leads me to believe That if the Republicans had simply nominated a somewhat generic, normal, established Republican who had run for office before and perhaps shown an ability to win votes from the people of Georgia, that person, I think, would be a senator-elect. And it may not have even gone to a runoff. None of the other statewide races did. The Republicans won outright majorities on election night across the board in Georgia statewide, except in the Senate race, where Herschel Walker ran about nine points behind Brian Kemp. If you had like a Brian Kemp-type person running in that race, I think that person wins. Like, for example, if David Perdue had not been recruited by Donald Trump to run a primary challenge in the governor's race against Brian Kemp as a Republican on the stop the steal craziness. And he got absolutely trounced, by the way, by Kemp, crushed him, absolutely crushed him in the primary, and then won decisively in the general. If Purdue hadn't done that, hadn't gotten in on this failed scheme by Trump, and had just kept his powder dry, and let's say run for Senate against Warnock in this environment, I think you have David Purdue elected back to the Senate, and Warnock's out. That's not a crazy leap. You just look at the other outcomes of all the other races. But instead, we got Herschel Walker and all of that baggage and all of that inexperience, and the result is the result. It's not like Raphael Warnock is some pure-as-the-wind-driven-snow candidate who's wildly popular in the state of Georgia. Like we saw in some of these other races, people looked at the options and said, well, I guess we'll go with the guy that we kind of know a little bit rather than this other person who seems even weirder or worse. And we saw this elsewhere. It wasn't just Herschel Walker. And I'm not, you know, after the fact saying, oh, look at all these horrible people. We had some of them on the air. I was rooting for some of them in particular. But there's a common thread here. Candidates running for the very first time with no proven track record of winning votes in a meaningful way in these big statewide races. People who could be defined early, who were massively outspent, who had ties in almost all cases to Donald Trump and sort of the MAGA element of the party, you're just making it a lot easier for the Democrats and the media to do what they do and then win. 
I'm not saying that all these candidates were horrible, didn't have their moments, didn't improve over the course of the election. I think you saw some important good flashes from Blake Masters, for example, in Arizona, who ended up obviously losing. Dr. Oz, Pennsylvania. I've said it before. I'll say it again. I think if Pat Toomey didn't retire, he would have held the seat. Every incumbent won. Toomey's a quality candidate. He would have won. He wouldn't have lost to John Fetterman. But you had a brand new candidate with extremely high, unfavorable numbers, which was also the case with Blake Masters in Arizona, who could not overcome that. New Hampshire. They nominated someone with no experience, with fringe views, and Maggie Hassan, an unpopular do-nothing senator, ate him for lunch when she should have been absolutely highly vulnerable. You see, governor races lost, pissed away by the Republicans. Races that were winnable, for example, in Arizona. Doug Ducey won Arizona, I believe by double digits, in 2018, a blue wave year. Conservative Republican governor. Carrie Lake, talented, high name recognition, but a lot of people just said there's something there, fringy, crazy, Trumpy, we don't want that. And the Republicans gave up that governorship. A more generic, normal, traditional Republican beats Katie Hobbs, who is awful, absolutely awful out there. Pennsylvania, Josh Shapiro, now the governor-elect, the Democrat, strong candidate, But the person the Republicans put up against him was a nut who went to the January 6th protests, campaigned on that, didn't really run a real campaign at all, could barely raise any money, a lot of 2020 grievance stuff, and he got absolutely crushed by double digits, which also probably hurt Dr. Oz in the Senate race. In Massachusetts and Maryland, where you had pretty liberal, moderate Republicans exiting, both Republican governors, The party in those states, the voters in those states, the Republicans decided to nominate much Trumpier MAGA-type candidates that just didn't fit Massachusetts and Maryland, and the result were two easy layup pickups for the Democrats in those states. So Republican voters really need to look hard at the types of Republicans who won in 2022 in some cases, won big in 2022, led red waves in their states, often governors, some members of Congress, and those who lost. There are some imperfect but pretty clear patterns. Like one exception to the overall rule is Adam Laxalt in Nevada, who is a good candidate backed by Trump and McConnell, who had won statewide office before. He's the exception. He's still lost which might go to a broader brand problem for the Republicans. Also, Nevada, tough state, even though they picked up the governorship there, the Republicans did. But overall, we had a test. What kind of Republican is electable in America right now? And the results, if you look at the scatter plot, I think are pretty obvious. The Democrats also told us who they wanted to run against, and they were right. They told us with their spending and their meddling in Republican primaries— We want to run against this type of candidate. It couldn't have been any more obvious. It wasn't subtle. They were telegraphing explicitly, these are the types of Republicans we want to face. 
And in too many cases, Republican voters said, let's do that. Let's give them what they want. And in a lot of those cases, it was Trump and his allies who had a hand in that. So now there's going to be another election in two years, a very important one, absolutely critically important one. Republicans absolutely can win back the Senate, extremely favorable map. They have a shot at expanding their very small House majority that they're going to have here in a few weeks. And the big one, the presidency, is going to be on the line. It might be Joe Biden. It might be someone else. Republican voters must look at what happened in 2022 and then internalize those lessons and pick someone that the Democrats don't want to run against. The type of Republican who showed they can win, even win big, in 2022 and not underperform or lose in an environment like 2022. We can stick with some of this old liberal tears, let's troll approach and lose probably again, right? Do what feels good and then lose and then blame it on other people and stealing elections and rigging and all that stuff, fraud, or You can learn actual lessons presented by voters in reality, adjust accordingly, and go have a much better chance of winning. And you can't do a damn thing in politics unless you win. And that endeth the lecture on the Georgia Senate runoff last night on The Guy Benson Show. We'll be right back. The Guy Benson Show. More next. Back here on The Guy Benson Show. One of those issues that we were just talking about in the last segment, big, important campaign issues in 2022 on which Republicans had a distinct advantage among the electorate was crime. Democrats tried to pretend like this wasn't a real issue. The media was telling us, oh, this is just sort of made up by the Republicans and by Fox. And that clearly was not the case, especially here in New York, where the voters have been seeing it and the voters reacted in this state with a little mini red wave of sorts in New York, of all places. We've mentioned Starbucks locations closing all across the country due to crime, too dangerous to operate those stores. We've seen a similar thing with the shuttering of pharmacies and Walgreens and CVS type locations in places such as San Francisco. Here is the CEO of Walmart on CNBC earlier talking about what Walmart is seeing. Um, Theft is an issue. It's higher than what it's historically been. And we've got safety measures, security measures. Does that matter? If that's not corrected over time, prices will be higher and or stores will close. Prices will be higher and or stores will close. This is the Walmart leader saying If crime isn't brought under control, looting, widespread theft, which a lot of DAs just sort of look the other way, these progressive left-wing DAs, if that continues, they're looking at store closures, like we've seen elsewhere, and price increases, which is exactly what we don't need in the age of inflation, because you can't operate like this with people just taking stuff and walking out the door. We're going to continue on the crime beat on The Guy Benson Show because it remains highly relevant. We'll take a break. When we come back, final hour of The Guy Benson Show coming up. Jessica Tarloff in studio. Straight ahead. (laughs) 
It's 5 o'clock in the most powerful city in the world, Washington, D.C. It's time for the Guy Benson Show Happy Hour, sponsored by the Finnish Long Drink. Finland's most popular alcoholic beverage has come to America. Visit thelongdrink.com. And now, here's your host, Guy Benson. It's the happy hour on Wednesday from New York City. I'm Guy Benson. It's the Guy Benson Show, our final hour of today's program. Thank you for tuning in. GuyBensonShow.com is our website. Podcast free every day, on demand, no charge to you. GuyBensonShow.com. Follow us on social at Guy Benson Show, Twitter and Instagram. Lots of stuff there. If you missed our true crime special, for example, you've got to catch up on that. That's at Guy Benson Show, Twitter and Instagram. This hour is sponsored by the Finnish Long Drink. Our friends over there, fantastic. As I've been mentioning at our Christmas party last weekend, they sent us 50% more long drink than they did last year, and it was still completely gone by 11 p.m. It's just wild. At one point, I saw one of my colleagues double-fisting two of the strong long drinks, and I said, <laughs> sir, but it's a popular commodity. Please drink responsibly, unlike that. 21-plus <laughs> only, thelongdrink.com. Uh, it's just fantastic stuff. With us here in studio is Jessica Tarloff, Fox News contributor, co-host of The Five, head of research at Bustle, chief romance and baby correspondent as well uh, here at The Guy Benson Show. It's very good to see you, Jessica. Great to see you. Now, you were invited. I was. To this Christmas party, holiday party. You couldn't make it for a variety of reasons. Yeah. You have a young daughter. We understand. You missed quite a bash. I also have heard that. And quite a mystery. Mm-hmm about this spill, and we will probably address it a little bit further later on this hour during the home stretch. But there was a colleague of ours, Jesse, and a colleague of yours in particular at The Five, who was not invited to the party. And he let the world know about it last night in front of millions of people. (laughs) Cut 22, just listen to this. I want to sympathize, but I have a problem with people who whine about not being invited to parties why would you want to go if you are not invited? I mean, like, for example, I mean, like Guy Benson throws a Christmas party, right? Yeah, I'm, not mad, invited. I'm not invited. I'm not invited. Of course, he's been on the show a dozen times, right? I think he might have been scheduled to be on tomorrow. In fact, I am scheduled to be on now tonight. Still? They have not canceled me. Okay. An and hour and a half until pre-tape time. <laughs> exactly. Like, we'll see what happens. But he says he doesn't like people who whine about not being invited to parties. Yeah. And then... He did exactly that, whining that he wasn't invited. And then we thought it was over, but no, there was more. He dragged poor Martha McCallum into this. Was Martha invited? Cut 23. I've had many contentious interviews with members of the White House So you're going staff. to the party? And you're going to the party? Yes, because I think that's... Sell out. <laughs> yeah, but were you invited to Guy Benson's party? Um, yes. <laughs> she said no. She said no. You, which you should have said. So Greg was saying that Martha said no, and Cat should have said no as well because I guess he in was not of him? I, in, in, yeah, in defense of his honor or something like that. Martha couldn't make it. She was invited. Her daughter was invited. She's been to parties in the past. Martha has invited me. To her Christmas party in the past, oh. I've been unable to go, but it's the thought that counts, and she and I are buddies. We hang out in Cape Cod sometimes. I have never been invited anywhere by Greg Gutfeld, except on his show, but that's also part of my job. Eh, I don't know. I mean, I think you should have invited him if you like doing his show. Okay, 
So I, I, I don't want to make this like only be nice to people for career advantage, but he hosts a big show. Absolutely. Although I would not call him a personal friend. I invited personal friends to this party. Like, I get it. And that that I is why I was invited. Exactly. But, I have not. No one was invited that I have not for politics. hung out with I, as friends if that's before. your line in the sand. And then you say to him, Greg, invite me to your house to play with your adorable dog. And then you come to the holiday party next year. Well, let me just say this. I am on the show tonight for now. May the force be with you. Thank you. 11 p.m. Eastern Fox News Channel. <laughs> I am hoping that I have an opportunity to address. Oh, you will. What was said last night about my party that he was not invited to, not through any malice. And in fairness to him, like, it is fabulous. So, like, I can understand why he it might always be looks that way. upset. One of these years, you've got to make it. I do. Yes. And there were, as you said, there were a confluence of things, not just the tiny human that I'm responsible for. Our husband traveling, had a baby shower. A lot That happening. they wouldn't relocate to D.C. to make it easier for me. Um, no, but, you're, you're forgiven. You don't have to make any excuses. Right, but we're real friends. We are real friends. Right. And you were on the list. Now, as I've now alluded to, and we talked about at ludicrous length the last two shows, there was this mysterious spill yes. of red wine. I will not ask you to wade in on your theories because I'm getting I – mean, my phone is blowing up of people who have their thoughts and their suspects and everything. It is now – I'm not calling it a national scandal, but it's close. I do want to ask you, however, about the general concept of – I'm calling this a party – Felony. Oh, it's worse than a foul. It's worse than a party foul. What color is the stained item? White. Oh. It's it's like a cream colored. Do you think there's any chance Greg snuck in? Mm. He's so pissed that he wasn't invited. And he threw red wine. He is a little below the radar. You might not see him when you scan the room, right? That's not nice. I'm not going there on the height. Well, you're much taller than he is. Right, and we don't talk about it. <laughs> well, we do here. I mean, he, he takes shots at me all the time, so we like yeah. to give it back, and he actually likes that. At the that. table, Jesse and I are living in different airspace than Piero, Dana, and Greg. <laughs> I mean, wow. That is actually I mean, it's true. just factually. So we'll actually play, if you are not already familiar, this is our trailer of the true crime mystery that we've been uh, really going after. I love the only length. murders in the building vibe of today. Oh, well, just, just listen. This holiday season, one Christmas party was changed forever. When I thought we were in the clear, boom, a big red stain on a very strange portion of one of our couches. Many suspects, one witness. There were multiple spilling of the wine by a certain someone. This is a prepaid call from Christmas Cubby, an inmate at the county correctional facility. It wasn't me. I didn't do it. Ah! Who can you believe from the team that brought you sloshing around the Christmas tree? A Guy Benson Show original, The Spill. I love it. Are you not intrigued? Give your team a raise. Well, that would be Dan, who did all of that. And also Christine, because women have been treated poorly throughout history. Well, except she might have done the spill. She's saying she didn't. Well, she was technically exonerated (laughs) yesterday. (laughs) Technically exonerated. The question for you, Jessica Tarloff, is in your experience, in your lifetime of partying. Yeah. I mean, I I went to all women's college and I'm a bit of a loser. But yeah, I have been to parties. You have been to some parties. Yeah. Do you have any examples of party fouls that you have committed or that you have witnessed that stand out? 
I have a really good one. Ooh. Like, really good. Oh, give us the tea. So, it wasn't me. But at my house, so I used to, um, my parents used to host really big parties for, they worked in the movie business for friends and colleagues for them, et cetera. And there was a party that John McEnroe, the famously angry tennis great, oh, yeah. came to, and he was trashed. And we believe that he peed the whole wall of the powder room. No evidence besides there's only one person at that party who you think would have peed. Obviously, it was not a woman. It, you can't control our drip, right? And well, thank you for that. Well, just, As, yep, okay. F- science says true. Yeah. Be, be happy that I did the biological yeah, argument yep. that if you're born with that equipment, yep. it just no, you're generally right. falls down. Yep, so it's, um, it's going to be a dude. Yeah, and it's one of our favorite kind of family lore things that John McEnroe peed up the wall in the powder room at the house that I grew up in. Wow. It's good, right? Now, just for legal purposes, I'm going to point out that this is a theory. It's totally a theory. Advanced by someone else, not the host of this program. No. He might be listening right now. He might be a, a podcast listener here at the Guy Benson he Show. Could be. He might be screaming at the top of his lungs, you got to be kidding me, listening to this. Totally. Because that's what he's famous for screaming. Yeah. I have a little bit of regret, actually, that I said it out loud. But it is, it's a, no, that it's is a, a favorite. G- that is a very good one. What year was this, roughly? Oh, like... 2006. Oh, so not that old. Like, it's you were an adult when this happened. I was enough to walk in and be like, someone did you on the dis- wall. Did you oh, discover yes, it? Oh, yes. And I discovered the errant pee. And I thought. And it wasn't just a small misfire? No. And also, there it was a spacious powder room. Okay. Like, it had a shower in it. It was a, it was a bath. It was a full bath. Oh, so not even a powder no, room? No, it wasn't one of those where you walk in and you can't close the door without, like, sitting on the toilet. Oh. It, there was room, and it was a whole line of the wall. Wow. Yeah. And, and whoever this was, let's be honest, had options. There was a toilet, obviously, best right. option. There's a shower. Yes. Second a sink, best. Trash sink can. would be third. Trash can fourth. Wall, wall. dead last. Yeah. And it was interesting because I didn't see any urine sprinkled on the seat either, which is – that's the, what men do the most, right? It would, that it's like it they can't – It would suggest that it, was it wasn't just even a attempted. Yeah. yeah. Not necessarily someone deliberately saying, I want to do this because I don't like the wallpaper. Just someone who was so far gone that they just decided to go wherever they Or just they thought were. that it – right, was just – Blacked out, or was he that? That was level of overserved. I'm listen. My my <laughs> parents were winemakers. There's it's always true. a lot to have. I've had uh, the wine. You have had the wine because we're friends. Uh, thank and, you. Thank you. <laughs> um. So I don't know, and I really I love John McEnroe. I, I just think it's a funny thing that like maybe oh this yeah he's like a house. character. Oh, and a he's a character. wonderful commentator, and I love now that he can. He's so detached from how awful he used to be that he can be funny about it because it sucks when people can't make fun of themselves. Self-aware and can poke fun in a self-deprecating way. Totally. Which I think is important. Oh, it's the only way I think that you deserve a second chance at being part of something as special as, you know, tennis commentating or the tennis world that he's like, yeah, I was a bit of a, you know, you knew, you know what? Do you, when you host gatherings now, do you have any particularly strong fears that might dissuade you from even hosting because you're worried that people might do something. No, I would welcome it. 
and my husband's oh, friends really out. like to drink. Be careful who you invite. This because is like that sounds Jersey like a, drinking. That sounds like a challenge. Christina's waving from the other side of the glass like, Anytime. hey, let's see how this goes. Jersey. Let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. We are now debating because of the spill. Oh, yeah. What are the implications? Well, we are debating nixing red wine at our future parties. I don't think that's wrong. White wine, champagne, clear, long drink, for example. No red wine. Or like the red wine gets corked and gone by a certain time of night. If you're here for apps and schmoozing, you Mm -hmm. may have some red wine. And if you're here past 10 o'clock. It's it's a shift. It's yeah. a vibe shift. Yeah. Now, is it the kind of couch cover? Can you wash it? Yes. It has been washed. It is mostly completely fine now. Okay. And the bad side can be the underside. It's, oh, fantastic. It's okay. okay. Now, this is not like catastrophic. No, it sucks. But though. at the moment, when you first saw it, it did look like a crime had been committed, which it had, actually, if you think about it. Uh, but we are just thinking about how to... It's weird that no one, since this is a friend party Mm -hmm. and not a politicking party, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? There was probably politics discussed, but it wasn't like, I'm coming to this to try to get ahead. Right. Um, It's weird that said person wouldn't fess up. Like, I would fess up because I would want to say, can I pay for the dry clean? Like, whatever it is. Like, we're adults here. Yes. And we had a big red wine spill last year at the party, and the culprits immediately yeah. confessed and we're cleaning it and we're apologizing and offering to Venmo for whatever. And like maybe this person was too inebriated to even it's possible. But I will just reiterate what I said yesterday on the home stretch. There is a period of amnesty that I've offered for this crime. Turn yourself in because I still have a few little sources saying that there might be information out there. I don't want to find out who it was if you aren't letting us know. You have, like, a grace period. Like, it should, yeah, because then it's really creepy and you feel weird about it. And yes. it changes your friendship. It might. So we know who didn't do it, Jessica Tarloff. Definitely not. Sadly, because she wasn't at the party, even though she was invited, unlike Greg Gutfeld, which might be changing in the future, given the national television call-out that I got yesterday. I think yesterday. you should change it. I'm just, some friendly advice. No, I, I would love to have him at but the party. But hang with him, and he's fun to hang with. That's actually almost certainly true. And Kat is so close with him. Right. And I'm so close with Kat. Okay, thank Sometimes you for— Sometimes those moments, they just have to be forced, where it's like— Oh, not organic. Forced, forced. No, like, like we're going to hang let's out. let's go do this. Okay. Let's do the damn thing. That is good let's advice. Let's hang out. My advice to you is to do the damn thing and come to one of these parties, maybe yeah. next year. Totally. And in the meantime, we'll have you back here to talk about more serious things perhaps next time. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> maybe, maybe not. Full just control of the Senate, 51 seats, no big deal. We addressed that in the I, last hour. I heard. Yes, here I on the show. I just wanted to add that I am happy yeah. also about it. I, I'm not so happy about well, it. Well, I mean, but, you're a big Herschel Walker fan. Like, let's be real here. I mean. He'll vote the way that you would prefer. Well, would have. Would have. Yeah, right. In fact, now will not. But. No. Very, very winnable map for the Republicans in 24 on the yeah. Senate side. But, like, you got to have people who can win. And that was the subject of a monologue last hour that people can yes. check out on the free podcast. At Guy Benson and Walker can go back to Texas where he lives and is happy. Walker, Texas Ranger. Jessica Tarloff, <laughs> Fox News contributor, co-host of The Five, our friend. Non-red wine spiller. Here at the show, at least not this past time. It's yeah. good to see you. Nice to see you. Guy Benson Show Happy Hour, back right after this. Fresh conservative talk. Guy Benson Show. Happy Hour on The Guy Benson Show. All rise. Aaron Judge. The Yankees star outfielder and reigning AL MVP has been re-signed by the New York Yankees. 
to a whopping nine-year, $360 million deal, which is just an astounding contract. But here's what happened. They offered him a relative pittance, seven years, what, less than 220 before last season. He turned it down. I think that was a dumb, bad offer by the Yankees. It was his walk year. He had the chance to prove himself, and all he did was have one of the greatest seasons in the history of Major League Baseball, setting the AL home run record Roger Maris had set. Some people call it the real home run record because of the steroid era. Whatever you want to believe, it was an incredible season for him individually. The Yankees, as usual lately, disappointed in the playoffs. But he's a fan favorite, and there was a demand among the fan base to keep him. And he played himself into the position to have this type of contract. And there was a report that I saw last evening that he was going to go to San Francisco. And then that report got rescinded. And then today it was announced officially, at least reported widely, that Judge is sticking with the Yankees. And here's the thing. Dan's a Yankee fan as well. He's wearing his Yankee hat right now. I said to you yesterday, and I also said to my brother the same point, which is, I thought the Yankees were going to re-sign Judge when I saw that they announced that they had re-signed Brian Cashman, the GM, who has a lot of detractors in Yankee fandom. They said, oh, we've re-signed Brian Cashman for four years. I said, there's no way they're going to announce that move knowing that they're about to lose Aaron Judge when Brian Cashman would be persona non grata within the fan base. If they had announced that about Cashman and then Judge went elsewhere, Yankee Stadium would have burned down or something like that. And my theory was correct. Absolutely. You called it. I mean, you're right. Even just re-signing Cashman, meh, I'm okay, whatever. Doesn't matter. Everyone needed Judge back. The contract is not great. No. It's too long. It's a lot of money. There's already guys with over $300 million in contracts. Don't like it, but, you know. But you need him. And he's now locked up probably for the rest of his career. Let's just pray that he stays healthy and stays active and swinging the bat well and doing all the other things that he does so well so all rise congratulations that is quite a price tag guy benson show back after this you're listening to a new generation of talk guy benson earlier today on the guy benson show we welcome for the first time to the program dr drew pinsky i.e dr drew talking about some pretty disturbing trends in our culture involving loneliness depression isolation especially among the young there have been multiple studies and stories about it in the last couple of days and weeks we asked dr drew about it on the program here's part of that conversation i'm wondering if you have a message in all of this because i'm just reading scrolling through the headlines why is it so hard for men to make close friends that's probably another conversation for a different day we love to have you back focusing specifically on what we've just been discussing here do you have a message based on your experience and your expertise for kids In America, young people, maybe not quite that young. We have some younger listeners, but we have a lot of listeners who are maybe later on in high school, college, early 20s. They have been traumatized and hit hard by this, no doubt about it. And then my follow-up question, you can start thinking about it, is your message to their loved ones, their parents, 
their grandparents, people who care about them. But if you had a message directly to the younger people right now in America who have all of this depression and anxiety and just this underlying sense of foreboding and dread almost all of the time, what would you want to say to them? Okay. I, 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 first of all, I would just say that the, the, the homeless situation, the reason we have the homeless situation are some of the same phenomenon that are creating this crisis for young people, the lack of resources, the lack of beds, the lack of psychiatrists. Number one, I would say, please get help if you're having trouble functioning. Treatment does work. Get help, number one. Number two, you have been fed a lie that there is worth in this country. We do want you. You are worthwhile, and you need to go find that thing. And that, that thing it needs to be something that helps you make meaning. Saving the world does not actually nourish human beings very much. What nourishes human being is having a skill set and a wisdom to be able to help an other human being, one human being. So being a doctor, helping a patient, that is what nourishes a human. That sort of thing is what nourishes human beings. So find things you can do to be to make meaning and to be helpful in the world and to understand you have been lied to. This is this is nonsense. You live in one of the greatest worlds, one of the greatest economies, and you should be, and you are worthwhile, and you should be looking forward to thriving. Now, it, having said that, uh, it, it's no small matter, right? It's no small task. You have to find your sense of self. You have to find your sense of purpose and meaning. But meaning making is a critical thing. So two things: a, a get help if you're having trouble functioning. B meaning making and finding ways to develop skill and, and wisdom around that so you can truly contribute. And then finally, relationships. And screens, relationships on screens and Zooms and whatever else you're using. TikTok, Snapchat, yeah, all that. Those, those are better than nothing, but they do not nourish for long. There must be bodies in space. Humans need to spend time with other satellite central nervous systems in the same space. And that time needs to be just spent, ideally, sharing with each other. You can do common – males tend to often appreciate doing common activities together. That can be also very rewarding. But because they've been so um, restricted in their access to their peers, I would say more time face-to-face, -face, breaking bread, sharing feelings, thoughts, ideas, and just learning about yourself and others in that context of intimate exchange, not romantic exchange just contact like interpersonal contact friendship Interpers relationships just basic stuff that people have been it's just been diminished or just robbed of them in so many cases dr drew just about two minutes left for the parents and grandparents out there who see these stories about kids getting into drugs and overdoses and they're just scared to death about the well-being of their own kids they don't really know what to make of social media and the constant screens and all of it. They don't want to seem uncool. They don't want to make things worse, but they're concerned. What's your message to them? And, and let me just say, um, before I, I talk to the parents and grandparents, sure. is, uh, th those kids have been robbed. They've been robbed, and I hope they're pissed. They should be furious. They should be outraged by what they've been put through, number one. Uh, to the to the parents and grandparents, um, you know, these are complicated uh, you can, we have to talk about every different age, you know, window. So let me just talk in broad strokes. If um, 
if a kid is struggling, you see, all pretty much all psychiatric problems present very similarly in adolescent young adulthood, which is change in sleep patterns, change in diet patterns, change in uh, you know a, a single a grade point drop in school is actually the biggest predictor of actual psychiatric problems, not mm. parenting problems medical psychiatric problems. So a drop in grade, change in sleep, change in eating patterns, change in dress, change in peer group, or if you find paraphernalia or a substance. If you find paraphernalia or a substance in or around your child, they've gotten so lazy with their use that you're finding it, you have a major, major problem. They don't need to be grounded. They need to see an expert to get some help with this. Same is true of these other changes I've mentioned to you. It's not a parenting issue. That's a child with one of many different potential psychiatric problems, and they need help. My full exchange with Dr. Drew, available online, GuyBensonShow.com. Also on our free podcast, the whole show every day on demand, totally free. GuyBensonShow.com, FoxNewsPodcast.com, or wherever you get your favorite podcast. It posts usually a little bit after the show is over. When we come back, the home stretch, a few more updates. We're going to get past Spillgate, but there were a few other things that happened over the weekend involving producer Christine and her wild adventure in Washington, D.C. I have not heard some of this stuff. Wyatt has been urging us to talk about it, and so we will next. For the full interview and more, go to GuyBensonShow.com. Home stretch on the Guy Benson Show on this Wednesday. As I mentioned earlier, I'll be on Gutfeld tonight. Could get interesting, as usual. GuyBensonShow.com for our free podcast on demand. Okay, we need to wrap up a few things here, some loose ends on the spill. And we won't dwell too much on this because we just don't want to flog it to death like we did, for example, the Backstreet Boys storyline when I was going to that concert and then Christine was going to the concert and so on and so forth. I have a few updates. Number one, Christine was telling us earlier that when I cleared her of the main spill, we found out that she did like four or five other spills during the party, but not the couch spill. When I exonerated her on the air last night, she said she felt like she had actually just been acquitted in a court of law. Like she was like crying, hugging her attorneys, waving at her family, you're free to go. So she's back with us now, no longer in lockup, no longer in the county facility. You can tell by the quality of her microphone. I'm feeling good today. Feeling good. Meanwhile, we did our two-part The Spill true crime drama on the last two shows. My colleagues at townhall.com who were at the party, they got wind of this. They listened to the entire thing, both parts, out loud in the office today. They said productivity at townhall.com in the newsroom ground to a halt. They listened to the entire home stretch from Monday and Tuesday, and now there's this big inquisition happening at the office where everyone's blaming each other. And one of my colleagues said they might start waterboarding each other to get to the truth. So they are deep in the weeds on this. And, of course, quite a few of them were at the party. Several of them quite late. Maybe one of them is the spiller. Not the serial spiller, which is Christine. 
but this particular spiller. Last but not least, this new best friend, quote-unquote, that Christine met at the party, one of our friends who was at the house, she didn't remember really anything about her because she was, well, she was feeling it. I think we got the point after the few, past few days. Yeah, that's right. And I figured out who the person was, who this new best friend was, who Christine also spilled on, by the way. And I was going to come on the air today and say, I am not going to divulge who the person is to Christine because this individual had sent me a note of a screenshot of her phone. Christine had entered her phone number into this girl's phone at the party. And guess what she called herself in the contact listing? Christine Benson. (laughs) Which is so unbelievably disturbing. That is what she put in this girl's phone. Christine Benson. So I was going to say, if this person wants to reach out, she has the ability to do so. But I was not going to subject her to Christine myself. And then, literally in the commercial break before this segment, Christine. She texted me. I am so happy right now. And guess what? She said that, yes, I did spill on her. (laughs) But it's quite okay because she once spilled a whole pot of coffee at a brunch after espresso martinis. She had. I feel like her and I are soulmates. Well, congratulations. And she told me that she's ready for the lifetime commitment. She's all in. Great. That is a lot of pressure and inconvenience off of many of us, actually. I'm so so happy right now. I'm just so happy. Just best to you both. Best of luck. Cheers. Speaking of cheers. Before you started drinking on Saturday, this is what we now need to move to. I was told there was some saga involving your purse that created an actual issue to the point that your husband, Bobby, was genuinely upset with you. Let's bring Wyatt in here because he is, after all, the witness to all things. Wyatt, were you present for the purse stuff? No, I was not. But, I mean, I did get a phone call. So we were supposed to go out to dinner before the party, and we did. A little bit later than expected because Christine called and or Christine Benson called. And <laughs> no, we're not doing that. It's not a thing. And she called and she's like, I'm going to be a little bit late. I, someone stole my purse screaming on the other on the other line saying someone stole my purse. And then I just hear Bobby in the background and then she hangs up. All right. So there's been this is the first of apparently several crimes that happened that night. Christine's purse was stolen in Washington, D.C. We've been talking about the crime problem in our nation's capital here on the show now for a while. So, Christine, when did you discover that your purse was stolen and what was your reaction? So what happened was uh, Bobby had gotten an Uber. We were waiting outside the hotel to to get the Uber to meet Wyatt. And I looked down at my velvet pants and I noticed I had lint on them. So I said, Bobby, could you just run over to CVS and just get me a lint roller? So he ran over, got it. For me. And I had a bag for Wyatt as well. So I put the bag down and I'm rolling on the street, you know, not like rolling lint off the pants okay. on the street. And then that's actually an important clarification yes. because later on you were rolling on the street in a different <laughs> way. But please go on. So 
then the Uber comes. I grab the bag. I grab the lint roller and I get in the Uber and I'm like, oh, my gosh, I left my purse on the street. And so we get out of the Uber. Well, Bobby does. And he's like, there's no purse over here. And I'm like, oh, I definitely left it. Because when I got off the elevator to get outside, um, I had a tag on somewhere. So I asked the front desk lady to cut it off of me. And then her and I got to talking because she, like, loved my outfit. And she was like, you're a good girlfriend. We were just talking. And then I go, oh, you know what? I left it at the front desk. So then Bobby ran in there. There was no purse. And then I thought it was stolen. You melted down. I mean, full on screaming down the street. My purse is stolen. Bobby's like, I don't know what to tell you. It's gone. Like, it, I had everything in there. Screaming. Crying. Uh, no, it takes a lot for me to cry. I don't really But cry. screaming. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, full on meltdown. Okay. And did you contact the police? So Bobby goes, let's just go upstairs and regroup for a second. And I said, okay. And I'm on the phone with Wyatt as we're walking into the hotel room. And I'm like, Wyatt, my purse was stolen. We're going to be late. I don't know what to do. And then all of a sudden I hear Bobby go, is this the purse that was stolen? And I just hung up on Wyatt. (laughs) Because, in fact, the purse was not stolen. I never left the hotel room. You just left it in the hotel room. It was in the room. So then Bobby, who usually is pretty good with me, very good with me. Um, very, uh, what would be the word? Patient. Patient. Usually thinks I'm a hoot. Uh, he put his head in his hands and he said to me, cause I started laughing about it and he goes, no, he goes, you need to give me a minute. He's like, seriously, don't talk. Just give me a second. I need to regroup. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then the worst part is, so we ran out of the Uber, just left. And then Bobby called another Uber, and it was the same guy that I was just screaming. (laughs) That's awkward. That's very very awkward. Very awkward. So then you met Wyatt. Yes. Wyatt, any other quick highlights from the pre-party segment of this evening? I mean, just having that phone call and being hung up on, I just just stopped for a moment and said, wow, it must be really bad. (laughs) Because I thought something was really bad, but then it turned out. It wasn't that bad. No, it was so just then, Christine. Yeah, and so then then we had dinner, and it was a fabulous dinner, and we had a, a few drinks pre pre party, and and Christine made friends with the with the manager at at the restaurant. Mm-hmm. Multiple best friends were made. I heard. Yeah, his name is Ray, and we're gonna you know um, get in touch with each other, and and if he's in New York, he's gonna go out to dinner with me, and if I'm in D.C., he's gonna get me a good table at a couple places. There was a couple. Girls, Wyatt, that walked by. Remember, one girl just out of nowhere was like, "I love your top." And then her and I started talking. I made some friends at the bathroom. It was just, it was just, Mama was just out for the night, and it was fun mm. until I was accused of a crime I did not do. Yeah, I mean, you did a bunch of other crimes, though. A very, very small crimes. You falsely accused someone else, unidentifiable, of stealing your purse—an actual crime. Then but I didn't spilled. actually accuse a person. I didn't point at someone and say, you stole it. I said, somebody stole it. Yeah, but you did spill multiple times. You were literally sloshing around the Christmas tree. In fact, you spilled red wine right next to the Christmas tree in the same exact spot that you did last year at the Christmas party. Can confirm. Yeah, sloshing around the Christmas tree isn't just like a joke. It is. No, it's It's real. a song rooted in reality and lived experience. You've got to, as a songwriter, you have to write what you know. And sloshing around the Christmas tree is real. 
And I'll just say, to put a pin in this conversation, the spill is still an unsolved mystery. And feel free to send any tips to Crime Stoppers because this one's going to stay with me for quite a long time. Is there a statute of limitations on confessing to you? Like, will you accept, like, a year from now? Like, next holiday party, someone's like, remember last year when you had that No, spill? no, I want, like, this. you have the grace moment, as we were talking about with Jesse earlier, Jesse Tarloff. That's now. You can tell the truth now. I don't want to find out later. That's all I'm saying. So much discussion of this damn Christmas party, including on Gutfeld last night in my absence. I'll be there tonight, 11 p.m. Eastern on Fox News. We'll see if it comes up or not. And with that, we'll be back here same time, same place on the radio tomorrow from New York. It's the Guy Benson Show. This is Jimmy Fallon, inviting you to join me for Fox Across America, where we'll discuss every single one of the Democrats' dumb ideas. Just kidding. It's only a three-hour show. Listen live at noon Eastern or get the podcast at foxacrossamerica.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.